Now, on the surface, it might be hard to believe that making milk in a lab has any chance of competing with the efficiencies of modern dairy. But then you start to consider things such as areas of the world that don't have much dairy production. Of course, in Singapore, there are no cows, so I have no access to raw, fresh milk. Or the fact that these labs can focus on cultivating only the proteins within milk that have the highest value as a specialty ingredient or pharmaceutical. Lactoferrin is a micronutrient bioactive protein that is found in milk, and it has antimicrobial, antiviral properties. It's helped adults and kids with their gut-brain access. For these reasons and others, this area of precision fermentation of proteins is worth watching. There's a lot more going on here than just the desire for vegan alternatives. Uh, about 90% of all lactoferrin goes into infant nutrition just because of the high prices and the price fluctuations. Now, today on the market, lactoferrin trades between a couple of hundred dollars to $3,000 per kg. And that is a product that we will be able to hit price points much earlier than if it was just milk. Today, Amy Wu and I sit down with Turtle Tree co-founder Fungru Lin to talk about their company's journey into cell-based milk. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the farmers, the founders, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. And before we dive into today's episode on precision fermentation and cell-based milk, I'd like to recognize our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is the engine of Canada's agriculture industry. Calgary, Alberta. Located in the heart of Alberta's best growing land, Calgary has it all. With more than 22 facilities in Alberta playing a critical role in ag research and innovation, Calgary is a hub for precision agriculture and for agricultural technology. The Calgary region has proximity to customers, abundant primary agricultural commodities, and a growing cluster of value-added processing capacity. That's why multinational agribusiness leaders call Calgary home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you're welcome to join. Visit calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more. And thank you so much to Calgary Economic Development for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Joining us on today's episode is Fungru Lin, co-founder of Turtle Tree, which is based in both Singapore and in California. The company describes itself as a biotech company dedicated to producing a new generation of nutrition, one they say that's better for the planet, better for the animals, and better for the people everywhere. Utilizing its proprietary cell-based technology, the company is creating better-for-you milk ingredients sustainably and affordably with benefits that extend beyond the dining table and into the heart of humanity. All right, we're going to talk a lot more about what all that means. When I first read the description, I got to say I was pretty skeptical about their ability to compete with what I know is a very efficient dairy industry. But what I learned from Fungru shed light on where companies like Turtle Tree still have a place in the future of agriculture. In my opinion, that includes cultivating high-value proteins for things like specialty ingredients and supplements and pharmaceuticals. And another aspect I find very valuable about what Turtle Tree is doing is trying to close the gap between infant formula and real human breast milk. We've seen the issues with formula supply chains recently, and Turtle Tree's approach can apply to all forms of milk, including not only cows, but humans. This is also the fifth and final episode in the series I've been doing over the past year with Amy Wu, 
who is the author of the book From Farms to Incubators, Women Innovators Revolutionizing How Our Food is Grown. Amy is passionate about featuring women leaders in ag tech, and I've been glad to share that passion with her and all of you by featuring people like Joanne Zhang in episode 263, Ponce Travis-Favette in episode 273, Shelley Aronoff in episode 290, Ross Harvey in episode 304, and of course, Fungru Today. I highly encourage you to purchase a copy of Amy's book, as it not only includes these guests, but also several other former guests, such as Pam Marone, Fatima Kaplan, Sarah Nolette, Mariana Vasconcelos, Christine Sue, and others. All right, so let's get to our featured conversation here today with Fungru Lin, co-founder and CEO of Turtle Tree. And yes, we're going to ask her where that company name came from. Since its founding in 2019, Turtle Tree has become a top player in the alternative protein industry with $40 million in startup funding so far. Fungru is an alumna of Singapore Management University, where she studied information systems management and marketing. And before Turtle Tree, she held positions with Google and Salesforce. And one quick technical note before we begin, there was a very loud rooster and also maybe some other birds in the background here, which might bother those of you who are more used to a studio environment. But I do figure that if roosters crowing are allowed anywhere on a podcast, it should be an ag podcast like this one. So I hope you'll forgive me for some background noise in today's episode. Okay, no more ado. Here is Amy Wu and myself talking to Fungru Lin. I'm Singaporean born and raised. My background was actually in tech. Like I used to work for Salesforce and Google. But a couple of years ago, while I was in Google, I had a hobby to learn how to make cheese. And it was quite fanatic. I went up to Vermont for a couple of weeks to learn how to make cheese. And I wanted to replicate this whole process back in Singapore, back in Asia. But of course, in Singapore, there are no cows. So I have no access to raw, fresh milk. I went up to Indonesia, to Thailand, to look for milk. And in this whole process, there were lots of challenges around contract farming, around hormones and antibiotics that are being pumped into the cows. And as a result, the milk quality suffers. And I wasn't able to make the same cheeses as I did in Vermont. So I gave up that whole idea. And um, when I was in my office and still in Google back then, I met my co-founder. He was back then a CEO of a different tech company. He was on stage talking about different te transformative technologies. And that was about four or five years ago. And he was on stage talking about companies like Memphis Meats, like Blue Nalu. And these are one of the first pioneers who are producing meat and seafood without going through the animal. So that, that whole story really intrigued me. We started to talk about using similar methods to make milk. And uh, we, we decided to, to talk to our scientist friends. We did our own research. And in 2019, when we filed our first patents, that was uh, when I felt comfortable enough to leave my job and, and start this company. Wow, that's, that's fascinating, actually. Can you talk a little bit about the product itself? When did that first launch and where is it in the market right now? Where can it be found? Sure. So we are at the scaling up stage of the company and we are working through the Singapore and US regulators to get them onto each of these two markets as our first market. But we are not fully on the market at the moment. Uh, we expect that to happen sometime next year. Now, when we look at our product, when you look at milk as a fluid, 
it's a very complex food product. I think a lot of people don't realize, but there are 2,000 different ingredients that are found in milk. And it is also at $2 a gallon. So to be able to reach market prices with novel methods, it's going to take a while. So what we've done is we've looked at all the different ingredients that are found in milk, all 2,000, and identified a handful of the most valuable ones and the least accessible ones. So one of the ingredients is called lactoferrin. Lactoferrin is a micronutrient bioactive protein that is found in milk, and it has antimicrobial, antiviral properties. It's helped adults and kids with their gut-brain access. And recently, has also been some reports that say it helps prevent COVID. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, and today on the market, lactoferrin trades between a couple of hundred dollars to $3,000 per kg. And that is a product that we will be able to hit price points much earlier than if it was just milk. So that, that's the first product that we will be launching with. So that is a component of milk that is highly valued that, that we actually are extracting from milk for things like baby formula. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And so so you'll just make that ingredient or are you actually making a cell-based milk or are you just making a cell-based that? <laughs> so we, we have a pipeline of different products and different technologies that we are using. And lactoferrin will be our first product. And we are working with the big food companies to launch lactoferrin in a plant-based milk or in a regular yogurt or in a, in a beverage. We have a pipeline of half a dozen other ingredients that are high value that we are also developing. When it comes to full milk, because milk is so complex, we are still currently doing R&D on that project. But FDA, Singapore Food Agency, these regulators, they want to be able to characterize everything that is found in milk, all 2,000 different components. So it's, it's a journey to be able to do that. And we are working through that as well on a longer term horizon. Okay. Yeah. And, and kind of what I'm gathering from you, and I didn't realize this before the interview, but it sounds like that's not necessarily the holy grail. I mean, if some of these components of milk, if we're basically producing the milk for these components, they're more valuable and we could just, you know, sort of leap straight there, you know, that's, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yes, yes. And, um, but if you look at full milk and if we look at how it can impact human health, for example, having human milk for human babies, if we're able to recreate all the different components found in milk for a premature baby, for example, or a baby whose mother cannot breastfeed, that is extremely valuable as well. Nothing beats human milk for human babies. So that, that is definitely a goal that we are aiming towards too. Okay. Yeah. And talk to us about the process a little bit, you know, at its core, it's fermentation, which fermentation has been around forever, you know, uh, for a long, long time. What has changed technologically that enables this to be feasible now? Sure. So um, the process that we are using to produce lactoferrin is called precision fermentation. So it's not necessarily fermentation in, in the traditional sense, like how you would ferment yogurt or if you would ferment tofu. It's, it's a little bit different. So how our scientists do it is we're able to put the DNA of a cow into a microbe. It could be a yeast or a fungi. So this yeast or fungi could ingest sugar 
and pump out the target protein, like how a cow would. And this process today is producing ingredients like rennet. Rennet is a key ingredient in cheese. It is also producing um, ingredients like vanillin, which is a key ingredient in vanilla. So precision fermentation is not necessarily a new technology, you're correct. But to apply it to, say, proteins or, or, or large-scale food production as an ingredient, or these new ingredients that we're targeting, that is the novel part. And for that, are you selecting really specific you know, microbes uh, to do that? Is that where the precision part comes in? Or, I mean, I'm sure it's a combination of that and then the environment you're facilitating for them. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. You got it. So it's a very specific bioprocessing environment that helps to induce these microbes to produce the target proteins. So some of the adjustments we need to make are things like temperature, pH, the amount of time they sit in the bioreactive vessel. So all of that coming together can help us to increase the yield of the target proteins. Interesting. Actually, on the topic, I mean, I imagine that you're hoping that this is going to reach a broad consumer base. So uh, in terms of cell-based milk, I would feel like, think that education, educating the public and the consumers is a big part of this too, correct? That's correct. So how would you educate or how are you even starting to educate consumers, you know, on what is cell-based milk? What is the product? I mean, imagine there's a lot of like mystery behind this still. Sure. I think um, we did our own primary research and what consumers really care about is two things. First is, like you said, price point. Um, and second is how it benefits their health. So I think for us and our focus on lactoferrin, it's really sharing with consumers why lactoferrin is good for them and how they can access lactoferrin. So today, uh, most lactoferrin go into infant nutrition. Um, about 90% of all lactoferrin goes into infant nutrition just because of the high prices and the price fluctuations. Now, if we are able to produce lactoferrin at a stable price and at a reasonable price, we can then introduce it to adult nutrition and adult health. So that's the, the angle that we are going in with. We have a branding team that is constantly putting up different posts and different educational materials to help educate the market. But it's not just us who's doing it. We're partnering up with some of the world's largest food companies. We're talking about the big CPG food companies, the big beverage brands. They too want lactoferrin in some of their own products. So we are working with them, co-creating products to put products on the market for consumers. That's really exciting. So um, in terms of the growth strategy, I mean, how soon is it to get actually be in the market? Have you tested the product out with consumers yet? So we are looking at launching it sometime um, next year, middle of next year. And we will be testing out uh, the end product with a pop-up launch. Now, when it comes to educating the consumers, like you mentioned, we're actually doing our own primary research at the moment, testing out the different product concepts, the different brand names that would work with the consumers that we're targeting. Excellent. And then explain to our audience, how did you come up with the name Turtle Tree? <laughs> so um, when we look at turtles and trees, these are symbols of longevity. We believe in the longevity of the earth and its inhabitants. And if you look at our logo, go to our website, turtletree.com, 
It looks like the cross section of a tree. It also looks like a thumbprint. So it symbolizes man's print on nature. Fungru, uh, could you talk about food intelligence, that framework that I think you all use internally, you know, what that is exactly and how it guides your decision making? Sure. When we look at different categories of food and where Turtle Tree wants to lead in, we want to be producing food products that are not just good for the environment. For example, lactoferrin, it, it's not coming from an animal. That's great. It's not from, it doesn't harm animals. It doesn't harm the environment. But we also want to have a focus around human health. It needs to be good for all of us, for every individual. So our team came up with this five-pillar framework. We call it food intelligence. And we're not the first people to coin food intelligence. There are a couple of podcasts out there that speaks to it. But food intelligence for us is really around products that are not just ethical, but also functionally nutritious, transparently sourced, culturally conscious, and the most importantly, delicious. And um, all of these different factors would attract the consumers today, the consumers today who are more woke, the young consumers who want to do good for the environment and also strengthen their health. And this question is for you, but also pertains to really the, the entire industry that's that's thinking through these things. You know, the industry is still pretty nascent and, and early when it comes to, you know, cellular based proteins. What's the next step towards getting to kind of fold up, scaled up, commercially available? Um, you know, how does that evolution look? What are maybe the barriers to getting there? When I had the opportunity to visit some of the largest food plants in the world, for example, we managed to get ourselves to visit the largest mozzarella cheese company in the world. They are the exclusive providers to Pizza Hut, Papa John's, and Domino's worldwide. These are $800 million plants. And this company has, I think, a couple of these plants all over the world, maybe half a dozen to a dozen of them. And that is the skill we need to get to to feed the world. Now, when it comes to novel ingredients and novel food, a lot of the R&D, a lot of the bioprocessing is done maybe to 10,000 liters bioreactors, 20,000 liter bioreactors. But in order to feed the world, we need a lot more of that. So what the whole industry is really focused on is getting the right equipment. First of all, some of these tanks, there is a holdup of of orders for up to six months to nine months and getting the right talent on board. So for us, we knew that was going to be really important from day one. So even as a small company, we actually made a small investment into a contract manufacturing company in Virginia. And so far as paid dividends, that company has has helped us to scale up some of our first products. And we are also looking to build our own manufacturing plant that can help us to produce not just Hello Shoes products, but hopefully some of um, our partners' products as well. So cool. And I mean, are there programs out there that are preparing employees for this type of work? I mean, this seems rather unprecedented. It's not like you could just take a winemaker and say, okay, now you're making you know, cell-based um, lectoferrin. How is the talent being developed for these types of roles? Sure. I think um, if we look at schools and universities, if you have a PhD uh, in microbiology, you will cover a lot of these topics. But of course, when it comes to food, it has its own challenges. How do we make sure there are no toxins in the output? How do we make sure that the microbes that we choose are 
safe? Uh, how do we make sure the processing method, the whole process is cheap enough for food? And I'll give you a reason why being cheap enough is important. A lot of these methods today are being used to produce pharma-grade products. So these methods are what is producing insulin today. And insulin and other med products, you can sell these products at a much higher price because people use a lot less of it and they need to be pharma-grade. Now, when it comes to food, we eat and consume a lot, a lot of food. So everything from the bioprocessing, the equipment, the microbes, everything needs to be extremely cheap to make it affordable for our everyday consumption. So when we hire scientists, we would love for them to have this kind of industrial experience to guide our process along and think in this way of food. That's, that's really wonderful. Um, did you have you ever imagined, Fungri, that you would be an entrepreneur? Like, did you ima- ever imagine that you'd be in this role? No, actually, no. <laughs> Always um, thought I was going to start and end my career in tech. Being in uh, Salesforce and Google were, were great careers. So how did working at companies like Salesforce and Google help you? How, do you feel like it's helped you in succeeding as an entrepreneur? Yes, 100%. When I look at these big companies and how they organize themselves, it's really eye-opening. And I'm always thankful for the, the opportunity to be able to work in those companies, how different teams are structured, how we incentivize employees, how we are able to continue motivating them at an individual level. Although the scale and the size is very different than what Turtle Tree is today, but I knew when we set up the processes within Turtle Tree, we need to build ourselves up for scale. So when it comes to, say, um, systems, to organize our data, our files, um, simple things like that, but they can easily go out of hand in a big company. I make sure that we have the usual right CRM, the right Google suite. We even have a platform for scientists uh, called Benchling, where they can upload all of their data and their experiments onto the same platform. So everyone is aligned with what's happening. So I think um, all of that together with talent management, and, and all these different pieces help me to understand what a big company should look like and how it should inspire Turtle Tree to be. Oh, that's really wonderful. And just briefly, where are you with the fundraising currently? How much has been raised? Um, are you currently raising money too? And how much? Sure. Um, as a startup, we are always raising money. But um, to, to our previous raises, we've raised about $40 million so far in total. Um, so some of our investors include Verso Capital, who is led by Julian. They are Swiss and Dubai-based. They are our lead investor for our previous round. Very thankful for them for um, opening up their network to us, especially in the Middle Eastern region. We also have KBW, which is Prince Khalid's fund. Uh, it's Prince Khalid from Saudi. The fund is based out of San Francisco. We also have Artesian, which is Australia's sovereign fund and uh, Green Monday Ventures out of Hong Kong, and CPT Capital. So we have have a large group of um, investors and and supporters around us. Now, when it comes to the next race, we are looking at a Series B race, and um, we will keep you guys posted on what, what that amount looks like. What I'm really curious about is that you come from a background in tech, um, not necessarily, let's just say, completely in raising capital. 
Can you give some tips to um, women entrepreneurs, especially about how do you successfully raise uh, money? How did you learn? What was some of the resources that really helped you? So I think um, when it comes to fundraising, it's really about networking. And um, beyond just, just women, but also for men, I think the key is really to try to talk to as many people as possible and be as open as possible. So although we are in Series A or going to Series B, but we still speak to every angel, every interested investor with the same amount of effort to every single one, because you never know what kind of network they could bring. And it's paid dividends so far. Myself, Max, and some of our leadership team, we will spend time talking to each of these investors, trying to explain to them what our business is about. Because it's, it's not just about raising funds. It's about building a community, building a group of supporters who would rally behind us. So even from day one, when we reach out to folks uh, within our network and also called through LinkedIn, a lot of people have been very warm and open to sharing about their experiences. I mean, if you guys on the, in the audience would love to bounce off some ideas, I do spend a couple of hours every Saturday talking to new founders or new entrepreneurs. It's happy to have a chat with you too. Okay. Well, as we look kind of forward here, Fungru, um, you know, how do you see the business growing, Turtle Tree growing? And what does that mean for kind of where the future of food goes? Sure. Um, I think when we look at the different food systems that are out there, it takes a lot to feed the population. When we spoke to one of the largest milk producers in New Zealand, the chief scientist, he told us, well, guys, if you're able to make as much milk as possible, as much ingredients as possible, please do, because we need all the help that we can get. The dairy folks, when they feed the world, they're talking about hundreds of gallons of milk. And with the next billion people coming onto the planet, we need different alternatives to continue supporting the population. And to, to give you some fun fact, right, Tim, um, when we look at the population of cows, over the past 20 years, it hasn't increased. The number of cows has never increased. It stayed the same. But milk yield over the past 20 years has increased by about 40%. And all of it is done through getting cows to be bigger, getting more milk out of the cows, being more efficient in the processes. But how much more can we push these cows? How much more can we push the land that is used to feed the cows? How much more water do we need to, to support this, this practice? So... I think for us, how we see it is we need different solutions to continue feeding the world the same food that they're used to. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate all, all of this, Fungru. Any, anything that we didn't get to that, that you're hoping to at least mention or any final words? I always like to tell everybody this is your chance for like your, your TED talk, you know, whatever you want to say to uh, kind of round out the episode. No, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. And I think uh, for the audience out there, if you're keen, do find out more about what Turtle Tree is doing and the new ingredients that we are launching. So Lactoferrin is the first product. It can go as a standalone in your regular plant-based milk or your regular um, yogurt drink. But what we're launching is also this blend of better-for-you ingredients that includes Lactoferrin and other complex sugars that we're working with the UC Davis team on building out health claims on. So you will be able to see gut logic with plant-based milk X with health claims like it's better for your gut, it helps with your immunity boosting, and so on. 
So do look out for these uh, first few products that we will be launching. It will be very exciting for the planet, for the animals, and also for your own health. Well, big thank you to Fungru Lin for sharing Turtle Tree's story with us here on the podcast today. You can learn more about their work and these new future products as they come out at turtletree.com. Thanks as well to Amy Wu for facilitating this interview, as well as four others on women leaders in ag tech. Get yourself a copy of her book called From Farms to Incubators uh, online or I'm sure wherever books are sold. What are your biggest questions about the future of agriculture that we haven't answered yet? Really, no question is off limits, and I'm serious. I'd like to hear your biggest questions about the future of agriculture. I've been doing the show about six years now, and I really have become invigorated by a good question. Send me yours via email, tim at aggrad.com or on Twitter. Your questions might inspire a future episode. And of course, I'll be glad to give you all the credit if it does. I'm much more likely to create an episode around one good question than I am from a guest pitch from a PR firm. So you can go ahead and let them know that. Just let them down gently. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Music